Welcome to From the Bronx with Love, a podcast where we explore pop culture, food, music, and as a bonus, random rants all done with a multicultural lens. We're your hosts, Karen and Dom. Welcome everyone to our 14th episode. Welcome back, Dom. Hi. How was your week? It was good. Really productive. Um, I, I think last week I spoke about my meal prep. Um, update on that. That's canceled. Because um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to be real real and I feel like it's 2018 and we are really aware about our bodies and I don't feel like talking about your period is all that taboo nowadays so I'm just gonna you know be that person who's gonna be like listen my uterus is trying to kill me because I didn't get it pregnant and you know what your girl's taking a week off (laughs) so so that's why it's canceled and also let's be real that um I don't want to give too much information about this but there have been some changes at work and Mm -hmm. lately we've been spoiled with food Oh my god. <laughs> it's been hard. Yeah. I mean, I love it personally. I'm just like, oh, didn't buy lunch, but guess what? We have a meeting and there's gonna be food. <laughs> yeah, I don't because they like they had um uh well, I think a 12 pack of uh cookies. So it's like Oreos, chips ahoy, and nutter butter. And they kind of hid it away in one of the um cubbies that we have in the office. And I'm not pleased that my very acute senses and my eyes that I have trained for years to notice cookies actually worked in this instance when I'm trying not to have as many cookies as possible. And I saw them, I happened upon them and had like two six packs of Oreos, (laughs) whatever. Judge me in in the Twitter threads. I don't care. I'm ready for you guys. (laughs) So that's that's also what's been hard to kind of like just keep up with the healthy lifestyle, mm-hmm. especially when there's so much food and snacks available. Mm-hmm. But you know, mm-hmm. it's not entirely their fault. Mm-hmm. We we love it. Okay, keep the food coming. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm just like, uh, stop giving me cookies as I'm putting three cookies in my right? mouth. So, by the way, um, do you celebrate Mother's Day? This past Sunday? I acknowledged it. <laughs> okay. Um, my mom always likes to say that she has two Mother's Days. Um, so, yeah, I acknowledged it and said Happy Mother's Day. But the Haitian Mother's Day is actually the last Sunday in May. Okay. So, mm-hmm. Which right. gives me a lot of time to get a gift yeah yeah that does actually and it's better i think because restaurants are not packed flowers are not hiked up in price Mm -hmm. so that's good yeah so if you're a procrastinator like me (laughs) and on that haitian mother's day flow right for us i mean here at home i gave my mom her present on wednesday which was diez de mayo may 10th so Mother's mm-hmm. Day is always May 10th, no matter what day it falls. It is always okay. May 10th. And so I gave, I woke up early and I gave my mom her gift. And then I was like, oh, you know, happy Mother's Day. I gave her her hug. And I was like, oh, I don't know if you wanted your gift um, today or Sunday. 
And then she's like, no, we're Mexicans. We celebrate today. Mm -hmm. I was like, yes, we do. (laughs) (laughs) But I think in previous years, it's just been one of those things where it's like, mm, she might get two gifts or like on one day I take her out to eat. And then on another one, she gets her gift. It's not like set in stone, which day she prefers. Okay. Yeah. And we also, well, my parents have a flower shop. So Sunday was just basically all of us working there. Yeah. 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 It's a, it was, it was a busy day. Yeah. (laughs) But that's basically what I did during the week. I mean, during the week I was just like working and gym, obviously, So that was about it. That was my week. And then also, oh, let's not forget that besides, you know, this week being a Mother's Day celebration, it was also Teacher Appreciation Day, I believe. Yeah, either day or week. I'm so on top of this. It was (laughs) a week. Well, I remember that around the area where we work, they had like a whole setup. I don't know if they were going to bring teachers. But they had some chairs there. Crayola was the one that was like hosting this event. Lovely. Yeah, that's like that's when I realized that it was Teacher Appreciation Week, and then I also saw it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So just to clarify, um, Teacher Appreciation Week is a national holiday celebrated in the United States of America, which takes place in the first full week of May. Yeah. Yeah. So Thank you for clarifying, Tom. Yes. Well, thank you, Google. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a perfect way to introduce our topic for today, yeah. which is going to be the teachers in our life and just yeah. overall the profession. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to make a note that like, um, as we grow in this podcast, we really like to explore topics that are pretty near and dear to our hearts. And like, there's always going to be like a social thread or social justice thread with us because we're passionate people and we come from communities that are passionate about, you know, social justice. Um, and I think want to say that this will be part of our education series overall, where we like explore education through like the lens that we normally explore a lot of things like culture. And I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess culture <laughs> and society yeah. and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, I'm excited to talk about um, teachers and like kind of what's been brewing because I feel like a little bit before teacher appreciation week there's just been a lot of um a lot of social or like a lot of consciousness on the cultural um consciousness about teachers because yeah. there's just been um there's just been well it's like five states now that are doing mass level teacher strikes and I think that is the first time I've ever heard of it on a large scale like that I don't know about you Karen uh yeah in these past I think a couple of months is where I heard more about all these teacher strikes Mm -hmm. and it just um I think when I was younger I really didn't realize the struggles that teachers had to go through 
mm-hmm. until I started hearing more about the strikes. And then I actually started looking more into their salaries and all that. And yeah, that was the moment where I realized like they have a a super tough job and the way that they're compensated is really not fair yeah yeah I think I was aware of it a little bit earlier in life um how yeah so I guess because it's different and we'll have a We'll have an episode dedicated specifically to this, but as some of you guys may know that Karen and I are different in like where we went to school, I went exclusively to Catholic school and you went exclusively to public school. And um, with Catholic school, they're private and they don't, they don't have to uphold the, um, the like average for what public school or like what the state or the federal demands. Okay. So they tend to get paid a little less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. than public school teachers. And I remember over in high school, I remember seeing a couple of teachers like working at restaurants in the, in the community. Oh, over the summer. Oh, <gasps> What? Yeah, it's like pretty common for teachers to have second jobs. Oh, but wait, I okay. This is the first time that I hear about this, just because I mm-hmm. I was under the impression that teachers that you know taught in private schools or like Catholic schools would get paid more. No. Oh. <gasps> OMG. Do they even get paid then in the summer when school is out? I do think they, yeah, I want to say my teachers did get paid. Um, Yeah, I think so. Oh. I can't tell you if they received any health benefits because in, um, you know, looking at my, looking and reading a couple of articles and I pulled a couple notes. I realized one common thread was, you know, yeah, the salary is pretty low. And I know yeah. that um, just to, you know, flex my statistics muscles here, um, <laughs> <laughs> the me the pay for, like, teachers has long been considered mediocre pay for, like, college-educated professionals. Uh And over the course of, like, 1992 to 2014, according to a Forbes article that we'll have linked in the show description, it's actually declined 2%. So it's, you know, it's incrementally getting worse um, for, like, college-educated professionals. And... um, that yeah. doesn't include health benefits. And I know just for me as, you know, I'm in my mid-20s now and you don't really think about, like, how important this factors into your salary, like having insurance. And insurance <gasps> is an additional cost mm. as part of your, like, <laughs> as part of your salary package. And that, 
is something that's always touted as like that's so expensive insuring employees because employers you know they try to get out of it sometimes and try to keep you part-time so then you don't qualify as a full-time salaried employee so it gets like sketchy there but um I can't even I can't even say if any of my teachers while I was in high school even were insured but I do know that they were paid a little less than public school teachers that is terrible yeah. And then I, when I first found out about how much teachers made, you know, I wasn't as woke as you, Dom, when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually when I looked into it, it, it just seems so unfair simply because they have one of the most difficult jobs, I would say. And they deserve way more. Like they're educating the kids, you know, our, our future, basically. They're they're educating our future and we need to give them the tools that they need and the salary that they deserve and everything like pensions and good healthcare, everything. Yeah. It is disgusting. The inequality or like, just like, how it just it shows like where value is placed yes it like it is a monetary um representation of where we place our value as a society mm-hmm. um yeah i think and, it's one of the most honorable professions yes and like you really can't talk about having other professions or like who teaches the doctor? You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's say it's not like a professor in medicine, but like to become or to get to that level, you need to have had like reading comprehension, Your spelling, ABCs. grammar, math, like, you know, like people who build those building blocks so you can like then the advance. Yeah. yeah, the fundamentals for you to advance. Those people should be paid like six figures. Mm-hmm. It is such a, to me, it's so prestigious, but like prestige is often, prestige in professionalism is often tied to um, how much money you make and how people see it and how valuable they see it to the society. And it just like, it's, it's so mind boggling that people just don't value it. It's like kind of, it's a really thankless job. It's so thankless. You like, and there are people who just treat it as like kind of daycare, which is way oh. different <laughs> than teaching. But even in daycare and even in teaching, people are just like, hey, I pop this child out. You do the rest. <laughs> yes. And if you think about it, I mean, I remember when I was younger, you, I think there was pre-K. I'm pretty sure there was, but I was not in pre-K. But now there's like pre-K, like pre-pre-pre-K, because I know that kids now are like in school by like what, like three or something? Yeah, I I was. (laughs) Yes. Girl, I personally think that is too young for a child to be in school, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. They have the rest of their entire life to stress out about tests and just overall deadlines and all this Mm -hmm. adult bullshit and putting little kids in school at that age. I think it's just crazy. Mm -hmm. 
to be fair, I think I only remember first grade. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. You don't even remember preschool or kindergarten.、Mm-hmm. So imagine like kids nowadays, like they're, they're starting, what do they call it? There's something that is called something like early education or Head Start or something like that. Yeah, yeah. There's Head Start. Head Start is、um, for, I believe it started out.、Um, As a way for low income families to have a place to, I don't know, have their children in、um, an education facility, I think during the summer. I think that's、oh. what it started out as. Yeah. And I remember always wanting to go to Head Start too. I was like, I want to go to Head Start because all my friends went to Head Start. So then I do remember. But then I was just like, ended up in pre K for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, none of my friends went to pre K or anything like that. So、mm-hmm. by default, it was just like, oh, I'm five. Okay, kindergarten.、Mm-hmm. And that was it. I think like my, my, my parents were not in a rush to send me to school. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where I was going. <laughs> um, also, uh, my mom, she actually knows a couple of teachers that they're, they're her clients. And I'll get into what my mom does on another episode. But she talks、mm-hmm. to a lot of teachers. And there, there's one that I think she's close to retirement. And she was talking about how she is so stressed because she gets a lot of、uh, pressure from, I think it's the state for when it comes time for regents exams. Oh, don't even talk about regents.、Yeah. You need to give people trigger warnings. <laughs> Especially if so, we have like listeners from New York. Well, we do have listeners from New York, but like <laughs> California as well. I mean, oh, any, yeah, like、oh, re- Karen. <sighs> okay, Regis exams basically, it's just something that you take、uh, like towards an, the end of a semester or like a, when once the class is over. <sighs> And basically, they. Evaluate what you've learned throughout the whole time you were sitting in that class. And obviously, that grade reflects on how well the teacher did in educating it. It's yeah. torture. It, oh my God, girl, you don't know how I suffered through those freaking regions exams. I failed the math regions twice. Me too. Well, I failed it once. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I failed the math one. I failed. There was another one. What was it? What did, it had、Chemistry? to be something. No, luckily I didn't have to take that one. I think I got to take environmental science, which I was so happy.、Mm-hmm. But I felt that there was another one with, it had to do with history. I can't remember what it was. Oh, yeah, it's the history regions. Yeah. You, is it U.S. history? I think it was U.S. history. Yeah, it probably was U.S. history because you hate U.S. <laughs> And no, it definitely is US history because I know you. Yeah, I'm positive it was.、Um, this teacher was telling my mom that she was so stressed out because of the pressure that she was getting. And then she said that it was also stressful dealing with parents、mm-hmm. because parents were going to her with complaints of, like, oh, why isn't my child like, scoring high enough? You're not doing a good job. You don't leave them enough homework, da da da. 
So all this, all the blame was falling on this teacher. And she was like, Mm -hmm. I cannot wait until I am retired. And then she also said that kids now were uh, a bit disrespectful. Wow. Yeah. She said that that she has seen it throughout the years that kids are getting more and more disrespectful and they're not as a, yeah, yeah. They don't give the teachers that respect that, you know, maybe back in the old Mm -hmm. days, teachers were given. And so she said that she was tired. We're dealing with, you know, parents, the state and the kids. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's from every angle, it seems. Yeah. Yep. That's a, you bring up a really interesting point that um, in my very high level reading of the teacher strikes mm-hmm. is that I don't, we understand that there's burnout among teachers because yeah. they're striking, but like you're giving a very like, real life example mm-hmm. of burnout and I'm like oh you know I'm reading everything and like internalizing but that kind of like drove it home to me it's just like oh my goodness like this woman really has like it's not even just like pressure but she just has no. like, like things on her sh- like literal things on her shoulders not yeah, really literal but like carrying like all this weight on her shoulders yeah, a lot of burden yes a burden exactly mm-hmm. And then if you think about it, okay, I am not going to blame my teachers for the fact that I, I failed my regions exam. There is no way because personally, like I do not like math. I get so stressed out by it. So my mm-hmm. teacher had nothing to do with it. Absolutely. And my parents understood that. They understood that from the beginning. They knew that I was not good at math. Okay. But there are some parents that they just want their child to grow up and be like this Einstein and blame the teacher uh, for their child's learning. When Mm -hmm. parents also have to take a step back and realize, hmm, if maybe I wasn't good at math when I was younger or my husband maybe wasn't good at math or something like that, then my child probably got it from one of us. But there's a lot of things that some kids are better at than others. And even like you have to look at the parents as well. So the teacher can only do so much, but you also have to do your side at home. Yeah, I think so too. I think um, I think also, I'm going to hate myself for saying this. Um <laughs> Because I hate this. I hate when you do this to me. Patience. <laughs> but patience is required. I think as a parent is required of the child and the teacher. I think teachers, a really good teacher is a patient teacher and understands that maybe the child isn't learning um, by like the methods that are being taught. Yeah. That doesn't mean they can't learn. It's just probably a different weight of teaching mm-hmm. and a way of com- a different way of communicating so that they absorb this information. And I think teachers who are who are really tapped into that and are intuitive like that are excellent. And I think that takes time though. Like cuz children aren't like the you know uniform little carbon copies that come yes. off uh factory line and we all have the same input you know center so like it the each child comes with its own history Mm -hmm. its own 
you know, personality and its own like learning capabilities. And like a really good teacher will be able to assess that. And then that comes with trial and error. Like you Mm -hmm. don't always know right off the top of your, like right off the top of it, like how to teach someone who probably isn't grasping information in the way that you've been taught to teach it. Yeah. Or as fast as another student. Right. And I think a teacher should, teachers should be patient. I think really good teachers are patient. But like to your point with parents, I think parents need to be both patient with the, like their child. With their child. Yes. And with the teacher Mm -hmm. to get to that place where everyone, you know, is like, in a place and where you have to have yeah you have to find a happy medium yeah because it's not all of the teachers fault and I think a lot of parents nowadays don't understand that right and yeah. I remember and also I think like like you said a good teacher you know pays attention to like okay maybe this child learns faster by like visually mm-hmm. you know, visually other children learn faster through like I don't know memorization you know there's different methods right absolutely but if you have a class of like 25 students there is not easy yeah there is no way you're gonna figure out what every single student needs yeah and I remember that uh I was when I was in high school there was a teacher that I had and he was actually he was Hold on. Was it for my history class or was it for my math? No, no, no. It was for my history class. Um, But note on this, I am not going to blame him for me failing the regions. Oh, we already established why you don't like history, though. No, no, no. And this is also one of the things that my class was really early. And back then I wasn't like into the hang of waking up that early. So I would kind of doze off in the class. Mm -hmm. Anyway. But he was a black professor or a black teacher because in college, in high school you call them teachers. I know. I keep I'm so right? ingrained in yeah, professor. professor. I was I almost said professor like two times. <laughs> I think I did end up saying professor. That's awesome. Yeah. And then he think, he also mm-hmm. I think like when it came to test, he actually realized that, you know, other students were learning faster than others. And he did put this out and he said if you if at home you don't have a quiet place to study, mm-hmm. that is what's going to make it more difficult for you guys to memorize all these dates and names because it is a lot of information that I'm giving you. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have that quiet place at home, please talk to me and we can figure something out. Okay, that's awesome. And, yeah, and I think that was one of the very first teachers that probably realized that at home everyone has a different situation like a lot of the kids that I went to school with had maybe like come from a big family where they had like maybe like five or six siblings and you have little kids running around the house your mom is cooking and you know there's always activities going on um and so the learning environment is way different Mm -hmm. and a lot of teachers might not understand because they came from a different uh environment I guess when they were younger or something like that yeah it's it's interesting that you make um a note to say that he is a black teacher um because we did discuss this and 
I probably, you guys who follow us or me, especially on Twitter, know that I like shared this as well. Um, there is just a study that came out that talked about like, I think it's like less than 2% of teachers in American public schools are black men. And that was the question was like, why are there so little? And I did not even make that connection in my own life until I saw that. I was like, I've never had a black male teacher. Oh, you see, I had one when I was in middle school. Mm -hmm. Actually, he also taught history. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that was one. But actually, he started, he was more of a sub. Mm. Yeah, now that I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one. And then in high school, yes, my, my the other history teacher that I had. And yeah, that was it. I think overall in the school, because it wasn't such a big high school. Yeah. There was a total of uh two black teachers. Yeah. Two male and, black teachers, yes. Uh-huh. And so as I'm like calling recalling the study and I'm looking and I wanted to also mention because I feel like I've noticed this um in me that and we we're always talking about representation and I think that seeing teachers that look like you I think that actually makes it not only a stronger bond with you and your teacher but like for me that always that I always like had a really positive effect on my like my self image or um, my consciousness mm-hmm. as you know a black girl growing up, and I'm like seeing someone. The first people you really admire growing up are your parents and your teachers. Yeah. So when you see someone who you admire that looks like you that isn't your te- that isn't your parent, you're like, oh my god, they're like superheroes, and you look like me. <laughs> um. But you said something that, like, really um, makes a really good point about, like, a lot of teachers aren't from the same background. And Mm -hmm. I'm looking at this chart, and this is specifically in relation to or with regards to race. And in all public schools, 83% non-minority teachers, so basically white, um, Mm -hmm. Are teachers and only seventeen percent are teachers of color. What in, in urban schools? It's seventy-one percent white and twenty-nine teacher twenty-nine percent teachers of color. Uh. Suburban schools, which makes sense, why I did not have that many teachers of color because I am from the suburbs mm-hmm. originally. We'll erase that from my memory. I'm Bronx all day. <laughs> um, it's eighty four percent and sixteen percent teachers oh. of color. Um, and I know that when you are a teacher. And or you're studying to be a teacher and you get your like master's degree and your certification. Um, I know that a lot of like when I went to College of Mount St. Vincent, it it's a big nursing school, but it also mm-hmm. has an ed- excellent education program. And I know a majority of the people when I went were white women. 
and from suburban backgrounds. And they will work in like higher risk or higher poverty schools within the Bronx uh-huh. because that's kind of where you get your start. Yes. Is like schools School. where they consider like, you know, inner city or tough schools or like high poverty schools. Well, isn't that the same with doctors? Is it? I think so. Hmm. I, I think that is interesting to like what how it was that done by design? Like what is like what's behind that? I don't know. I honestly, I think like a lot because this is also based on like uh, past like family experiences where uh, family members have told me that a lot of their doctors look like their students. So I don't know if they're like doing their service hours or what exactly. Yeah. And then you said something about like, teachers and speaking to experience and like how like transformative it was that you had like black male teachers Mm -hmm. and And that was amazing because like when you have like white suburban teachers in schools where they are just kind of like just plopped in there have no community like sense of community with the people they're teaching like that radically changes the dynamic Mm -hmm, it does and I remember that when he mentioned this I was kind of surprised I was like how does he know because (laughs) none of my other teachers had brought it up before and so that was like a bit like oh okay and then Mm -hmm. um Uh, I don't think I ever went to talk to him, but whenever I needed help with assignments or whatever, I went up to him and I think back then, did I have a computer at home? Yeah, I think I already did. But he also said that, you know, if we had trouble with writing any of our papers or anything like that, to let him know as well so that he could help us out. I guess he knew that a lot of people maybe didn't have access to a computer or just the internet or something like that. That's amazing. That is amazing when they just get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, like you said, especially if you're like also living in the city and that's something I never had to really grow up with. It's quiet where it is annoying here (laughs) in the suburbs. But when you're living in the city and, um, you're young and there's like a lot of excitement and like like you said maybe there's like other siblings yeah and like your parents are doing things like people are just busy like you're hustling to survive yes like or at least your parents are hustling to survive and that that you know that takes a lot of movement um people are busy and to have someone like to know that already is our like that's comforting because you, you don't have to expend extra bandwidth to like explain like how your family life is mm-hmm. you know what I mean like it's like you know it's a language yeah it's like when I know okay it's like when I walked into the office today or it was the other day actually and like you already knew <laughs> it was like the female language was speaking between us um, the Red Devil, Diablo Ro- Roja? Rojo. 
Rojo. I always say Roja. Diablo <laughs> Rojo um, was, was bothering my spirit, and you already saw it. That is amazing when you have someone in the community who just, gets it. who just gets it. Yeah. It's great. And I think like a lot of, te- I mean, a lot of students afterwards, you know, f- really felt that connection and like they knew that he got it because mm-hmm. he was a uh, very popular, I want to say, amongst the students. Yeah. Te- I-, I think like everyone felt this comfort and just like talking to him and knew that he would understand mm-hmm. um, versus other teachers who would just you know, teach, but not really get involved. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's part of the whole, that's like the holistic teaching experience is Mm -hmm. when I say, oh, they're your heroes, but they're not your parents. Like when they, they like see you not as like, oh, okay, I need to get like this amount of percentage on a test score and I need you all to do well because if you do well, I do well. It's like, I'm invested in you. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that I also, uh, I think like a, there, you can tell when teachers are invested and where when they're not. Because I mm-hmm. remember that when I was in high school, because I failed the regents once, then there was this other teacher that she went out of her way to just, you know, put a group together of students that, you know, fuck that math mm-hmm. <laughs> and needed extra time in order to just learn everything. And I remember that the night before the regents, she even called every single one of her students in that group. And she was like, okay, make sure you get a good rest, have a good breakfast in the morning. Don't stress out about it. Just, you know, remember everything that we went over these past few weeks, da, da, da. And you could feel the genuine concern that she had. Mm-hmm. And she knew that, you know, for a lot of us, test taking was also kind of like mm, stressful. And maybe that's why we also performed that during these tests. And yeah. she, she was really devoted to, to her students. Um, there are many districts that are limited yeah. in resources. So it's like top down. And teachers, I know so many teachers who take initiative. When it's August, they are... You know, they're saving up a ton of money beforehand and just stocking up the classroom with what their students need Mm -hmm. out of their own pockets. And I saw the same thing in high school. I remember that my English teacher, oh, my God, he was such a sweetheart. I love that teacher. Oh, my God. I just wanted to hug him. (laughs) But there was one book that he wanted us to read, and I cannot remember the name of it right now. But I failed. (laughs) But I don't know if he didn't get approval for it or what exactly happened that he said that he was going to go out and buy the books himself. And he did within like a few weeks after the class started, we got the books and he was like, oh, you know, please just take care of them. We're going to read them throughout the, the class period. But, you know, everyone that takes my class will have to read these books. So just please take care of them because I bought them with my own money. And it was just, he was so sweet and he really wanted us to read this book that he went out of his way to purchase these books for us. Speaking of salary, and I think you mentioned pensions um, a little bit beforehand. Yeah, I did read um, 
in one of the articles that you were so kind to share with me, I believe this is the Forbes piece that Mm -hmm. really breaks down the um, teacher salary. Oh, yeah. And in it, something that jumped out at me that should have been, like, written in red ink, dripped in blood. (laughs) Do you know that the pension debt nationally is $1.4 trillion? Oh, yes. I was shocked when I read that. I don't know how that's like that itself in itself is not an article and a headline and a think piece. And like that is wild. And then also something that I did see as well. Um, one of the states where teachers are doing, are um, doing strikes. I think um, 20 districts did a walkout. It's in Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um Public sector professionals in Colorado don't receive Social Security. So these teachers are like almost making not, not I'm not going to say no money. Um, I don't want to really diminish. The right. Thing. Yeah. But they're like not making what they should be making. And then they also don't have a safety net when they leave, Ooh. which is like borderline abusive. It is. And actually, if you compare that, okay, because I don't know if it is the same here as it is in Mexico, but I believe that um, all the past presidents will continue to get a salary even when they leave office. Is that the same thing that it is here? I hope to God not. (laughs) Okay. I just wanted to double check that. I really don't. No, I do know that President Clinton, Obama, and Bush, they all kind of make money writing books. Okay. They've all made a lot of money with their book deals. Um, and then they get money, you know, doing speaking engagements. Um, and I, th- I think Clinton one time got paid like 200000 to speak. And they have like their own foundations, right? Which you know, it's not it's not for profit, but you can still make money in not for profits. Oh, the most famous not for profit or non profit is uh, freaking NFL. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. The NFL is a non profit. (laughs) What? Mm -hmm. That's gonna be another episode. It's just gonna be me ranting. (laughs) (laughs) okay so that's why i brought the uh, i brought up the um the politicians just because i wanted to compare that and it was like oh well if politicians get paid such big money then why aren't teachers getting paid as much Mm -hmm. i don't that's a really good question. And, and then teachers shouldn't have to worry of like, oh, my pension is not going to be enough. Or, yeah, they should not have to worry about their retirement at all. No, they really shouldn't. It should just be one really long summer when they retire. Right? Can, mm-hmm. you, believe, can you believe a person, like a teacher, how many students... They just like educated throughout their whole career. Mm-hmm. That is just intense. Yeah, yeah. The patience for so much kids. 
Yeah. Um, I want to go back to the question you posed and thank you, Google, again. They should just sponsor this. Um, Former presidents receive a pension equal to pay that, you know, a head of the executive department, executive level one in government would be paid. So as of 2017, former presidents get paid $207,800 a year. You see? Wow. That I did not know that. Oh, I, I had that good thing I brought it up. Mm-hmm. But you see, why are they still getting paid? I don't know. When they also, like, for example, right now, um, what's his name? Trump? He's probably, like, benefiting so much from being at the White House. His family is, like, abusing the power that they have and just, like, using securities for every single thing and, and private flights and all this shit. Preach on it. You don't have to like, tell basically, me. Basically, but... they're already scamming the country. So then why continue paying them when they're not even in the office anymore? Oof. And meanwhile, like their check is secured. It's nothing like, oh, we're in debt and we don't know if we're going to get your security check or whatever. No, it is guaranteed. So why do teachers have to worry about their, their pensions? Exactly. That is bullshit. That is. And that's probably, and then, that's probably why they're walking out. Yeah. And then you know what, too? What, what kind of like stood out for me in the um, Forbes article, mm-hmm. it was basically kind of blaming taxpayers as well. Uh-huh. And then that's why I was like, no, no, no. You cannot blame taxpayers because if I had control of where my tax money went, you better believe that it would be going to teachers to parks, to public transportation, and what else? Let me see. What else? And just retirement homes, basically, for the elderly. You are so right. And that is something that came up in both Kentucky and West Virginia, was that they're like, well, if we have to give you money, we're going to have to cut something, which I remember one organizer um, in Kentucky was like, that is really manipulative manipulative that they do that because it makes it seem it kind of puts the blame back on the teachers like they're asking too much and like it's like you know they have to like reach deep down in their pockets yeah the pockets that they don't have money in meanwhile they're giving tax cuts to like oil and gas and all these other industries but they're like okay no you know we can't just cut from these like lucrative industries or like make them pay a little bit more or like raise taxes on them they're like no we have to cut like things that people depend on so they're like saying um to give the teachers the only they're only asking for five percent too it's like not something like wild um they're asking i think it's either kentucky or west virginia um, they're the teachers are asking for four to five percent increase. Oh, it's it's in Kentucky. Kentucky. Yes. Oh, what a lovely state. <laughs> <laughs> I re, I have very dear people that I love who are from Kentucky, but that state, in terms of like municipal governance, is a mess. From uh. the governor to the senator to the con, like it is just a mess. Um, and Kentucky, I want to just add this one thing, um, because I did, I do really admire this about Kentucky is that one of the things that I've noticed is that they have a very strong, um, unionizing spirit 
and I feel like people in the Rust Belt or oh, like that okay. area in general, um, unions, um, when it came to like the coal industry have been really excellent at like securing kind of the same things we're talking about is like, you know, safe workspace and, you know, healthcare and like more money for people. Um, anyways, that's just one thing that I wanted to point out. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's because in film school, I watched Harlan County, which is an amazing documentary. And I believe it's in Kentucky, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a really great documentary about unions and strikes and labor organizations. Anyways, that's my digression. Um, (laughs) They're talking about <laughs> they're talking about only like four or five percent increase, and then I think the legislators were like, "Well, you know what? We're gonna have to like cut like Medicare or something." And I'm like, "Are you serious right now? You can't tax like people who are high earner. Like it makes no okay. This sense. is yes. This is the thing that they have uh, other sources to cut money from. Yeah." But they don't do it and they choose to like claim that these teachers are asking for too much, too much. when they're just asking for what is fair and reasonable. They're asking what is fair and reasonable because also at the end of the day, and I feel like this is at the end of the day, teachers are suffering. And if teachers are suffering, children are suffering. Yes. And there was, like, a whole big stink. Like, I think the governor was like, oh, well, think about the children, the children. Like, the teachers are being too selfish and, like, are walking out. And, like, no, the teachers, this is a matter of survival. When you think about striking, it's not like I'm being a brat. This is survival. This is, like, the last leg. Because people will take enough until they can't take enough. And they can't Mm -hmm. take enough, so they're going to strike. And... They're striking because I believe, I believe it was Kentucky that they were having like four day weeks now. They were sharing like textbooks among each other. There was like three or four textbooks that they all had to share. And like the textbooks were falling apart. Um, There's like some places like they have to turn off the lights to conserve electricity. And like. Are you you really going to tell me that, like, teachers are asking for too much? Oh, no. You see, this is the thing also, that if teacher strikes are going on right now and nothing is being done to, you know, be reasonable with their pensions and their paychecks, Mm -hmm. don't you think that eventually there's going to be a lack of teachers? Exactly. Because then everyone is going to be like, well, why will, why would I choose that profession when I won't even be able to make a a decent living out of it? I know. And it's, it's, I think it's a really noble profession too. And there's like a lot of nobility when you do something for little to no money, but we got to think about eating, you know what I mean? And healthcare. And like, exactly. So it's not even like you don't you really don't want to go into this profession. And this is a college um, like degree requiring mm-hmm. profession. So you don't want to go into debt. You start already start out going into debt to get this degree and to be in this profession. And then you just kind of dig yourself up, like in a little bit more of a debt um, as the years go on. So. Like, it's not even like, okay, you know what, I'm just, 
I'm going to bite the bullet and like, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of money, but I'm still going to go. It's like, can you even survive in 20 years? Would this be a profession where you could survive? I doubt it. Who's going to teach the kids now? Mm -hmm. That is why they have to get their act together and pay teachers what they deserve. Pay teachers what they deserve because honestly, if you, and they love to preach this, especially conservatives, they love to say this, these like, you know, trickster Republicans who are like, we're about family values and we're about, you know, the children, children are the future, but we'll still like make money at the expense of children. Right. It's it's garbage. So if you really do think children are the future and I'm lo- when you and I are talking and we're like really looking critically at the future of this profession that is solely the model, the model of this profession and industry is to educate young children who they claim to be as a future. Like it make it like makes no sense to, mm-hmm. to invest, not invest on the future. Basically. <laughs> it makes literally no sense to not yeah. invest. Which is why I think as we continue with this education series, because we're not done talking, um, (laughs) it's important to really uplift teachers, especially teachers of color who have limited resources. Um, And it will be interesting to see how other states react to the strikes because so far the strikes, the reason why it's on our radar and probably to the listeners out there, it's on your radar is because it's made headlines. It's like Mm -hmm. really being impactful. And I think that's a great thing that it wasn't just like a standalone or just like one off strike. It's kind of a movement. And I really want to see this movement take hold and I want something better for our future yes for our future and for the teachers that will soon be retiring that they don't have to worry about like maybe getting a job at like I don't know Walmart or whatever you say Walmart Walmart is like the number one it has to be among the highest like one of the places that hires a lot of retirees Oh, no, no. I know. And their practices are pretty awful, too. Oh, that's exactly what I was going to say. That is another episode. Mm-hmm. Because I have some shit to say about them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but with that, we move on to highlights. Yes, we do. I have a highlight. And I think I briefly mentioned it during the main topic of the podcast. I want to highlight two teachers in high school that were patient and went out of their way to help us with our learning and to pass these freaking regions. <laughs> <laughs> One of my teachers being Ms. Zach, who I will always remember her name. And then the other teacher, I unfortunately forgot his name, but I, I clearly remember his face. I'm not sure if he still teaches at my high school, but shout outs to them, highlighting them for the extra mile that they went. And knowing now that they probably weren't making that much money, I feel like they were really passionate about their profession and passionate about helping their students and just, you know, giving everything that they have. 
So that is my, my little Bronx highlight because these two teachers um, worked at the high school that I attended, which is Grace Dodge in Fordham. Nice. So, yep. Highlights to them and they should get all the awards and pension and everything because they truly deserve it. Yes. What is your highlight, Tom? Um, it's a repeat. Oopsies. Um, but I really feel strongly about this organization but it is the Bronx Documentary Center and keeping in the vein of um, education I've seen a couple of times now where the Bronx Documentary Center has made a lot of efforts to go into Bronx high schools and really give the gift of filmmaking to high school students and like for me in the suburbs, didn't even think that is like something that I could even dream up of, which is why it took me until I got my master's degree to think <laughs> to switch into that profession. So I think it's remarkable and amazing that especially places where there might not be um, any arts or yeah. creative writing programs that they make the efforts. And I know this is all voluntary efforts yeah. to um, flourish and like tap into young minds and we need storytellers and we need a lot of storytellers from the Bronx like Uh, it's such a colorful place yeah exactly that's what I was going to say that I think like a lot of high schools don't offer that so Mm -hmm. there there has to be other programs that kids can you know attend maybe on the weekends or after school but in order to find that creativity side in them because not everyone was born to be a doctor or a nurse or a scientist Mm-hmm. There are people out there who are creatives and we need to find that outlet that will kind of like help us discover in what direction we want to go to. So I really love what they're doing as well. Educating the bright minds, the young minds of the future. Yeah. And I think I'm going to keep an eye out. Um, I'm biased because I'm a, I am a filmmaker. So I'm obviously like, oh, the Bronx Documentary Center is doing this and it's about film. But I also want to keep an eye out for like classical arts training um, places where like there are painters and there's no art class. So what are they going to do? You know what I mean? And I want to look for like things like that, like those arts programs, music programs um, in the Bronx. And if you guys know of any, just, you know, send us um, any tips or leads to our email or tweet at me. I live on Twitter, unfortunately for Karen, because Karen has alerts set up. So I'm like (laughs) tweeting well into the night. Um, So, yeah. I'm readily available. I would love to know what other programs out there in the Bronx who are really going in there and um, supplementing or just being the arts program for high school, middle and high school students. And now for this segment, we all know that it's Dom's favorite. But actually, this time I suggested this person, didn't I? Who is this person? Who? Remember? You told me her name because I couldn't remember her freaking name. <gasps> Betsy oh. Deva- DeVos? Oh, DeVos, yes. DeVos, yes. You know, I was like, wait, we talked about a lot of people who should be sent to hell today. <laughs> so I was like, who are we talking about? Yes, Betsy DeVos. Mm-hmm. Who um, actually I just Googled right now. <laughs> and in her 
in her description, it says, obviously her title is the United States Secretary of Education. But then it says, Elizabeth D. DeVos is an American businesswoman, philanthropist, and government official serving as the 11th and current United States Secretary of Education. So just because she's a businesswoman and a philanthropist, that makes her knowledgeable in the education department? So this administration has been doing things um, ass backwards, obviously. And one of the things that they kind of did by design is like get people who have no clue in what they're doing or probably like has lobbied to the opposite of um, the department that they're now currently heading. So Scott Pruitt, who's another person um, I would like to send to hell, but not in this one because it will probably just be another whole episode because he's a wild man. Um, he is now the director or yeah, he's a director of the EPA, um, which is like overseas environmental, environmental protections. And this is the same man who like lobbied for oil, big oil and like cut a lot, like really, really went out of his way to cut a lot of like protections for um the environment and was on the side of companies that wanted more lax laws so they can you know basically have all these violations and we have like uranium in the water um and that's the person they have in charge of environmental protection so this is kind of like their mo is to get people who are the opposite of like progressive and Mm -hmm. will like really will do what the (laughs) what that position entails um, because they want to be outsiders and they want to loosen regulations because that's the freaking ethos is like there's too much government so we got to scale back on government to scale back on government at the expense of children is utterly disgusting I think Betsy DeVos out of everyone is horrendous they haven't um, they haven't uh, they haven't um, approved of Gina Haspel yet who would be like the new head of the CIA and she her and Betsy DeVos would probably be my top picks of like the worst people to be in any administration ahead of anything in the government she doesn't know the struggle that teachers go through Mm -hmm. she doesn't know the struggle that kids go through and also those that are in college and dealing with student loans she has no fucking clue about it she's an idiot she's a bumbling idiot like she when even asked about gun violence in school she was like literally that's what she said verbatim nonsense so she really, like you said, she really doesn't understand. And um, what was he going to say? This really, really significantly impacts, you know, um, students of color. Yeah. And students from low-income backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And she has zero knowledge of that, too. Um, and I wanted to also note or point out that she also hates public education. <laughs> yes, because actually I found her an article where she has visited more like uh, 
she has visited private schools and private Orthodox Jewish schools and private Catholic schools, but she hasn't visited that many public schools, which is where there's a lack of resources for teachers and and salaries and everything. And she works for the federal public government. Like you're supposed to, you, she actually needs to center public schools before anything. Like private schools can handle themselves. They're private. Yeah. I just don't know what this woman has on her agenda. Oh, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> so I mentioned the whole public school thing because on her agenda is that she really wants to um, ramp up like private schools, especially private Christian evangelical schools. Her background and her brother's background, Eric Prince, that's a whole nother thing. I would suggest if you guys are interested in know- knowing a little bit more about the Devo- about Betsy DeVos and Prince and the Prince family in general, to check out um, The Intercept and Jeremy Scahill. Um, he he investigated Eric Prince from way back when, and it's, you know, he has a whole documentary about it. Anyways, I think he's amazing. Um, not Eric Prince, Jeremy, <laughs> but they are like these like neo Christian crusaders and they will like, they just want the whole world to be like white Anglo Christian. And if you're not white Anglo Christian, at least be really evangelical. They just like want to like evangelize the whole world. They're disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, so that's her agenda. Uh, um, I have one. Okay, what's also, up? Also in the administration, um, not having to do with education, but it does have to do with children and children, specifically undocumented children. Um, in the week past, my favorite, not really, read sarcasm, um, <laughs> General John Kelly. Yeah. Who... I'm convinced is, I don't even think, I don't even know what the lack of empathy is, but whatever that is, I think it's apathy. It's not even apathy. Like, it's just like much worse. He's like, just like this evil, craven, disgusting human being. And I want to come up with better adjectives instead of disgusting. Um, (laughs) But he is just abhorrent. Um, and in an interview, he said that he basically is fine with separating children, like people, (gasps) families who are crossing the border and separating children from their parents. And he's like, he went into a whole like xenophobic, like disgusting thing where he was just like, you know, people who are coming now in the United States as immigrants, they have no skills. I'm like... Okay, Mr. Kelly, who is, like, the son of, like, immigrants himself or grandson of immigrants himself. And we all know what that means. It's like they have no skills. It's no, they are just too brown or too black to come into the country. I know, I know. Because his family, I believe, or his grandmother, someone in his family, like, they came in here, no skills, didn't speak English because I think he's Irish and Italian. Um, And... 
it's the whole thing. I, I'm getting like so no, upset with this. Save save it because I think this deserves a whole episode. You know <laughs> why? Because I've read other articles as well, and I think I actually took a screenshot of something that they they were um, talking about this. Um, yeah, in yeah, so, I yeah. Mean, a lot of people on Twitter, which kind of like it kind of irritates me because everyone keeps pointing out, like, I mean, I just pointed it out too, but everyone like keeps like pointing it out and like addressing him and writing open letters about his whole heritage. And I'm like, y'all don't understand racism. Like he doesn't see the similarities because all he can focus on is the difference. And the difference is that those people are too dark. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, well, okay, for now, he's going to hell. Yes. But I will read him to filth in an entire episode. So guys, stay tuned. Yeah, that, that deserves its own episode. Okay. All right, then. And with those two people in hell. <laughs> that is how too we, crowded. Yeah. <laughs> that is how we end our episode for today. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. And if you have some time, please rate us on iTunes because it is very important in order to spread the word about From the Bronx with Love. Yes. Anything else you want to tell our listeners, Don? No, I think I'm all spent. I just ranted way too much. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So we'll catch you guys on the next episode. Okay, bye. Adios.